Welcome back to the DevOps Sauna from Efficode. I am Lauri and I run our marketing and Efficode. In this episode, we'll once again dive into one of our more popular blog posts, giving you the chance to enjoy this content in audio format. The blog is read by Dominic Woodhill from our Copenhagen office. This is a recording of How to Run an Open Customer Interview, Detective Style, by Maria Wan. How to run an open customer interview, detective style. We interview customers, personnel and stakeholders in order to find answers to problems and solutions to hiccups. No, your customers and stakeholders are typically not criminals, but they are humans, the same as murderers, and there are great lessons to learn from watching the TV series The Fall. Detective Superintendent Stella, depicted by Gillian Anderson, is one tough detective, and she uses her powers to get through to her interviewees. Go on, she said, and my mind was blown. I thought, that's how you run a customer or stakeholder interview. So I decided to match my extensive experience interviewing and consulting about interviewing with my hours on the TV couch and lay out what you need to know about how to run a successful interview and which questions to ask. Not all interviews are smooth sailing, so let me show you how she does it. This is especially important in difficult interviews, where you have a hostile interviewee or there's a delicate situation. For example, when you're asking something very personal. These are the five things Detective Superintendent Stella does that you should do too. Number one, build trust. To succeed in an interview, the most important thing is to lay down trust. Be on the same level with your interviewee. The more you can do it without mirroring his posture, facial or oral expressions, the better. Sometimes mirroring, especially when revealed, can be a red flag. Sometimes you need to give time for the proper atmosphere to build up. What if your interviewee rushes from grocery shopping? Would he be able to concentrate on the issue without being influenced by the stress and emotions from waiting in a queue for ages? Is it better if you use 20 minutes to set the foundation, even if it leaves only 10 minutes for questions? Don't rush the questions, only to get angry or lame answers powered by a mind that is still queuing. During the interview, maintain the trustworthy atmosphere. Say, yes with a calming voice to encourage the other to continue. Even if the stupidest or most horrible thing is said, don't oppose it, let it pass. The interview is not about you. Here's an example from Stella's world. The suspect gets tired of the interrogation and wants to agitate Stella. He exaggerates by saying how he killed more women than he is accused of. Stella says nothing stares at him as calmly as if he said nothing at all, and waits for the scene to calm down, and continues as if nothing happened. Number two, keep the interview on track. Always bring the interview back to where it should be. If there are sidetracks, be calm and go back to the topic that was discussed before the sidetrack. To get deeper or wider on the subject, use idioms like, go on, to give space and freedom for the other to talk, or, if you want to understand the history or reasons behind, say, take me back to the beginning, 
If the interviewee appears to be at a crossroads and telling, or otherwise disturbed, ask, What's happening there? Indicating if you're asking about the current moment or about the incident you are being told about. Let the interviewee decide. Chances are, unless the feeling is overwhelmingly disturbing, the interviewee continues where he left off. You may also remind him that there is nothing to worry about. Or, in a near panic attack, whisper, breathe, clearly directed towards the interviewee. An example from Stella's world. The witness is nervous. She doesn't exactly know why she's interviewed or what's expected of her. She doesn't even know if she's being accused herself. In the middle of her answers, she remembers she should pick up her daughter from school and mixes up the weekdays. It's difficult to follow her story. Stella takes notes, picking up the essential from disorganised talking. She uses her whole upper body in bringing the interviewee's concentration back to the interview. She doesn't interrupt. She barely asks questions. Stella is there to support. Number three. Deal with emotions, but do not jeopardise the big picture. The more delicate, oppressing, hostile, etc. the interview is, the more you must be on the same emotional level or karma. Talk almost in a whispery voice, as little as possible. A real-life example. Once, an interviewee sat on a chair in front of me with his hands firmly hugging his upper body, an oppressing power posture. He confirmed his name and position and said nothing after. He'd obviously decided not to give me anything. When I realised in a few minutes that it would take me too long to build trust between us and since I already had enough information, it was easy to spare him. I gratefully thanked him for being on time and for participating in the study. Returning his own medicine made him puzzled and hesitant to leave the room, as if he wanted to continue the interview. Lesson. When you have enough data, don't cling on to the pre-plan. Worse are those where you detect that you are told semi-truths or common speculations. If you can't change the course of the interview, it means you haven't been able to build trust. Most probably your clock is ticking and you're losing the interviewee. That's why I prefer to interview fewer people and to be able to come back to re-interview the person if need be. It's so important to direct the choice of interviewees and not let the client do that entirely for you. Here's an example from Stella's world. Stella asks the witness why she came home later than expected. She wants to understand the relationship of the witness and suspect to verify the whereabouts of the suspect. The witness tells a story which is obviously untrue and illogical. Stella listens to it, but doesn't let it go into useless details. She doesn't care about the storyline. She listens to the story only to find the motive for the witness's lie. Number four. Separate facts from feelings. The interviewee, just like the interviewer, has feelings and probably other more important issues in mind than the interviewing subject. Since the subject to be studied hardly has any psychological dimensions, it's important that you as the interviewer detach feelings from facts, 
whether your own or the interviewee's. The interviewee seldom separates them, so it's your job to do it for him. If your interviewee mentally punches you by saying something that hits your emotional buttons, it's extremely important to bypass them and bring the discussion back on track. If the sidetrack has value for the research, a direct question should be in place. You wanted to hurt me. You wanted to push my buttons. Why? What does it mean to you? Here's another example from Stella's world. The suspect intrudes into Stella's privacy, reads her diary, says they're alike, befriends, even fancies her, analyzes her personality. Stella sets herself to observe all this as an outsider. She says, "Enlighten me," to find out the thinking of the suspect. Or, when the suspect says Stella has never given herself fully to anyone, Stella returns the conversation to him. And you have number five: maintain a bird's eye view while in water. I would like to believe that Stella's ability to stay outside the topic and to see the big picture, while being able to level up with the interviewees emotionally, is a result of her degree in anthropology. It's true that no other discipline gives a person academic skill on being both an outsider and insider. My ex-colleague and I named the method as Sula. It's Finnish for northern gannet. It's a bird that can stay long periods of time in water. Yet its main view on issues is that of a bird's, a bird's view, that is. Anthropology doesn't go to the mind, soul, or heart of the research subject. It's more interested in what happens in between the people, and what the dependencies are. Motives and feelings are meaningful only if they have an impact on the common story. Make it an intimate discussion, not an interview, without deep feelings, and stay on track. A final example from Stella's world. Stella has secrets, pains, sorrows, fantasies, even traumas. But, although her diary is collected as evidence, she keeps cool. Even if accused, hurt, or stimulated, she never fully gives herself for the interview as herself, but only as Superintendent Stella Gibson. So, to summarize, build trust. Keep the interview on track. Deal with emotions, but don't jeopardize the big picture. Separate facts from feelings, and maintain the bird's eye view even while in water. That's it. You'll crack the case in about one hour, without commercials. Thanks for listening. For more content like this, head to ethicode.com/blog. Well, there you have it, folks. Now we'd love your help with further topics to feature in this series. Our repertoire ranges from DevOps to usability, accessibility, service design, cloud native, and much more. So please reach out to us via Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook with your suggestions. Until then, deliver great software effectively. Thank you.